Hey, Scott and John here with Bible Mysteries. We want to thank you for being a listener, but we'd love to invite you to become a subscriber. Absolutely. This will only help us to expand the amount of people that we're able to reach and show the secrets in the Bible that the world doesn't want you to know about. That's right, John. And if you subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast, you get some great benefits. Access to every current episode, the full thing, even with our interviews and any special events we do. Plus, we have downloadable show notes. We have our community forum and Slack that you can join. And we have our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter. So for just $7 a month, you can help support us get the word out and defeat the satanic global elite. To subscribe, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com. Thanks again for listening and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? You're listening to episode 121, The Mystery of Mars, part one. Now here are your hosts, Scott and John. Hello there. Welcome back to Bible Mysteries Podcast. I'm Scott Mitchell. I'm John Potts, and this is the show that talks about things in the Bible the world does not want you to know. Boy, the world is getting more and more to try to suppress the truth, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to talk about something that might be a little unusual today. Okay. John, we're going to talk about the mystery of Mars. Uh, But before we get to that, I want to mention that uh, as of the airing of this podcast, we will have already had our summit. Yeah. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, I bet it was fantastic. I'm sure it was. (laughs) Hopefully I didn't screw anything up. I I sound like, oh, I missed it. I wish I could have been there. But I was there. I just haven't been there yet. We haven't learned how to time travel just quite. You know, we'll get there. Anyway, um, do want to give a quick shout out to remind everybody that our new website, Bible Mysteries Podcast, is now live. Uh, You can listen there, but you can also share it with friends. And on that note, we want to encourage you to share all of our social media with friends, which includes Twitter, Rumble, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, We encourage you to follow us, like, and share. And following helps us because it shows we're reaching a broader demographic. You know, we're in so many countries now, John. That's crazy. It's fascinating to think about. Uh, we're reaching people in Australia, Portugal, Sweden, South Africa, Saudi Arabia even has a few downloads. Yeah. You know, India. Malaysia. Yeah. And they're all interested in these topics. Yeah. The whole world is talking mm-hmm. and wondering about things like UFOs and cryptids and yeah. what have you. So it's no wonder that podcasts like Blurry Creatures and, and the yeah. like are so popular. And um, it's no longer if they're real, it's what is going yeah. on. Yeah, right. and, and we're question. not we're not getting answers from the people that supposedly know, you know oh, the yeah. government or whatever. So yeah. um, we we're going to keep diving in, and our angle is always going to be we're going to see if there's evidence in the Word of God. Absolutely. So for these things. Back it up scripturally. Absolutely. And so we want to take our time each day to thank our premium subscribers, who we call Seekers, for supporting Bible Mysteries. Our Seekers are extremely vital to this uh, um, work of this ministry because you help us cover our expenses. So thank you for subscribing. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a bit of appreciation, we just want to start dedicating each 
uh, episode to our seekers. This episode is brought to you by the seekers who joined uh, in September of 2022 by the name of Carol J. I think I know this Carol, and she's a dear sister in Christ. Okay. Mark A. and Roddy W. So shout out to Carol if you're the Carol I'm thinking of, and I think you are. And uh, we just appreciate you guys. Uh, We're going to try to mention three names each time, uh, and you'll be the sponsors of every episode. I love it. Today's episode being something a little unusual. We're going to literally talk about the planet Mars. Okay. And, And the reason why I... I'm focusing on the planet Mars is because, John, I've been viewing an Instagram feed recently. Okay. And it's called SOM, S-O-M dot E-T. So anybody that wants to look them up uh, and look at their reels uh, or their posts, you can see that they, not everything is focused on this, but they post a lot of images from the NASA website, nasa.gov, and I'm going to post that link as okay. well in okay. our show notes. Uh, it's To be frank, um, NASA is a government website, and it's not that easy to navigate, okay. and it's not very well laid out like most government websites. Okay. The photographs are there, but uh, whoever sponsors the Psalm.et Instagram channel posts them and kind of sifts through and posts the really good ones. Okay. And, you know, he kind of has a Ken Burns effect where it's kind of scanning and panning across the thing with some sound effect in the background. But he's showing the pictures that were taken from the NASA Curiosity and Perseverance rovers Hmm. uh, on the surface of Mars. Now, I've been watching them, and they're just fascinating. And I'll tell you, many years ago, um, I was a fan growing up of the fictional books by Edgar Rice Burroughs. People mostly know him as the guy that was the author of the Tarzan. So he created the character okay. Tarzan. Okay. So I, I recognize the name because he's, I didn't know what books he had written, but I had heard the name. But he wrote the Tarzan yeah. books. Okay. He's the creator of Tarzan and the Tarzan series of fiction books. He also wrote a series of books that I loved about journeying to the center of the earth, you know. Yeah. He created a whole world inside the world called That's cool. Pellucidar. And uh, it wasn't the land that time forgot, I think, but it was one of those type times. Yeah. But he also did an entire series called John Carter of Mars. And actually, I think Disney did a really bad movie about yeah, it. Yeah, I was not, say, not they, they made ago. a movie of that, yeah, right? they did, and they didn't do it justice. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I've read those books, and they were so far off from what would have been a cool thing. Okay. You know, the, the one character I liked they got right was this one called Tars Tarkas. He okay. was like an eight-foot green Martian with four arms and, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they just didn't do as good a job as they could have. But um, I, I had these fantastical images of Mars as a kid growing up. Yeah. And then somewhere in my early adulthood, I remember running into these um, videos of uh, a guy named Richard Hoagland. Okay. Who was a consultant to the Goddard Space Flight Center. And some of the early photographs from Mars showed what looked like a face. Yeah. You ever seen that? That's kind of crazy. Looking, looking up, you yeah. know? And there's like pyramids next to it, right? Yeah. Am I right? It's the Sidonia region. And it was funny how immediately all the attacks came on this assumptions that he was making about what could there have been an ancient civilization here, you know? Yeah. And it's like all of the media at the time, you know, circled their wagons around debunking him. And and maybe yeah. maybe they were right. I don't know. Uh, but more current photos from the rover projects we just mentioned show much clearer images because these images were kind of fuzzy. The technology at the time, you know, the nineties yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. 
And I was intrigued by all that, but I wasn't convinced. You know, I remember uh, I bought the video about the face on Mars and I watched it and it was really fascinating. And the math and geometry connecting the uh, the Sphinx like face thing, yeah. monument, whatever, and the and the so called pyramids there. So these newer images don't necessarily reveal any pyramids or Sphinx-like megalithic um, images, but they do show what, to me, look like ancient structures that were obliterated in the past. There's Hmm. too many things that are features that I don't believe would occur naturally. Right angles. Yeah. Straight lines. Perfect circular well, holes, na- not, not the ones they drilled. But naturally occurring erosion will not create yeah. right angles, right? It will create rounded surfaces. I agree. You know, wind and whatever, weather. I just don't think they're naturally occurring phenomena. Yeah. So I got to thinking, well, what if, you know, if the Bible talks about the ruin reconstruction of mm-hmm. Genesis chapter 1, verse yeah. 2, which I believe is true. The earth was without Form and form. form. Yeah, yeah and we're going to look yeah, at yeah. that term. We're going to analyze that term a little bit tonight, okay. today. Um, but I wondered, well, what if maybe if there was a civilization of angelic beings that occupied the planet that corrupted it and caused God to have to destroy it, why wouldn't they have been on other planets too? Yeah. And could they have been the occupants uh, and, and civilizations that were just destroyed, completely obliterated mm-hmm. in, a, in a war of rebellion? That we know happened in the scriptures. So we're going to look at it from that perspective. I've never considered that one before. Hmm. So we're going to go on a little journey here. (laughs) Um, So let's start with a a verse of scripture, Isaiah chapter 34, because just like you said, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Let's start there. I should have done that first. And and by the way, um, I am posting specific images uh, for you and I to look at. That's the old image that I first saw of the face on Mars. Yeah. In that film by Richard Hoagland. You can look this stuff up, folks. You can see it on the web. Just search face on Mars. Uh, search face Richard Mars, Hoagland. Yeah. yeah. Pyramids on Mars. Uh, that's the so-called pyramids that were near the face. So that's the Cydonia region. And, of course, our listeners can't see this, but um, the, the links are there for you to go check out. Yeah. Um, this is a more recent picture of Mars, and of that pyramid. looks very much like a pyramidal structure to me. But, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. that's a pyramid. I mean, to yeah. me, to me, it is. And that's that, not just a rock. I think this one might have been the the rover or Curiosity rover. Uh, that I know is a Curiosity rover. Okay. And that you know you could say oh, it's just a mountain, but that that looks pyramidal and debris on top of it. You know, broken up stuff there. Just yeah, things just don't seem to add up to these are naturally occurring things. That's that is a very recent NASA photograph, I think, in the two thousands. Very high def too. Yeah, very yeah. high definition. And then uh, this again, just that looks like a pavement or something destroyed. Yeah, it uh, looks like a road. A road wall that fell down. I mean, just too yeah. too many things that look <clears throat> like they have construction elements to them. The way they're so flat and perfectly, um, you know, cut. And then this is a stone found on Mars. Hmm. That looks like it would be part of the building. It looks like any monolithic structure on Earth, a stone yeah. could have been cut and placed in, well, like Machu Picchu. It's got 45-degree angles on it, yeah. right? It, that's something that was cut, right? That's not something that, that's not just normal. It model. does not look naturally yeah. occurring. Now, I know any scientist or astronomer is going to debunk all this or try to and say, sure. oh, the, certain elements can happen and whatever. But there's, there's no question that the surface of Mars is devastated. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's a wasteland. There's destruction everywhere you look. Uh, craters, pockmarks like the moon. 
We can't see the surface of planets like Jupiter, Saturn, the gas giants, uh, Uranus, Neptune, Mercury. Well, Mercury, no, I think we can see the surface. We sent orbiters to Mercury. Okay. Venus is also covered in a cloud of gas. Okay. So uh, we may have sent orbiters there, and I don't know what the surface looks like, but I I still think the devastation is evident. The the question we're going to have then is, is if there was, in fact, a destroyed ancient civilization on Mars. Okay. And if not... And possibly other planets. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, like, since we're Bible mysteries, is there any Bible evidence for this? Yeah. And the more I started looking, and I'm going to give another shout out to Timothy Alberino for his book, Birthright. Okay. To lead me in the direction of thinking about this from a different perspective. And hopefully I'm going to have him come back on the show and Very give good. us his, his studies and his insight. Yeah. But back to Genesis verse 1, we know this in verse 2. Well, verse 1 is, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, I've done several episodes about creation in the past, so I don't want to rehash all that. But we contend that the first earth was destroyed in God's wrath and ultimately ended up in a flood of water. There's water here. If you're going to say, as maybe traditional young earth creationists do, that the beginning God created heaven and earth, and here's how he did it. He started with a formless, shapeless mass, yeah. Well, where is the matter? Where did it come from? Okay. You know, why would God leave out so many details? You know, he gives no details of where the matter came from in verse 1, except that he made it. Yeah. He created heaven first and earth. And incidentally, in the following verses of chapter 1, he creates the earth and then heaven. Okay. So I contend that it's not a, the creation account in verses 2 through the rest of the chapter. The creation account is verse 1. Recreation or restoration is verses 2. Do you have a, a theory on on what the phrase and the earth was without form? What does that mean? Like it was it like just matter floating around? Was it gas? There's water, right? Because it says that his spirit was upon the face of the deep. So yeah. I, it's just hard for me to put that together in my mind. What that yeah. is? I well, maybe it's beyond my comprehension for all I know. No, I'm glad you asked because that's actually literally going to go look into the etiology of that phrase okay. without form and void, and. Um, you know, you, you're right. You're you're looking here and you're seeing a if it's ostensibly the beginning. Yeah. Where did the water come from? What, why is there darkness? Yeah. You know, why would God need to begin anything with without form and void? What whatever that means. Yeah. And even if we don't know what that means, the the on first glance, wouldn't you think it's like a formless, shapeless, not complete, not perfected? Like, That's exactly what I'm thinking. I don't even know what that is. Like, is it just, it's just kind of there. But it says that there's water, yeah. right? I think I think a lot of people imagine, uh, if they're believers, yeah. they're imagining like a lump of clay and a potter takes it and it's just a blob. Yeah. But they stick it on that wheel and begin to spin and begin to shape a vase or a, some useful implement. Yeah. I don't think that's the case at all. In fact, if we look up that phrase, without form and void, it's in the Hebrew Tohu vabohu, and I think my spell check corrected that to tofu, <laughs> but it's not tofu. <laughs> it's tohu vabohu, and in a Strong's concordance, it means formlessness, hmm. confusion, unreality, emptiness, wasteland, wilderness, a place of chaos, and emptiness. Wow. Void and waste. That doesn't sound like a blob of clay that the potter starts to form. Yeah. 
That sounds like the wake of destruction. Yeah. In other words, uh, it's applied that way. And we're, you know, while that's just a strong definition of without form and void, it does point to the beginning of creation, but the it, not to the beginning of creation, but to the aftermath of destruction that happened. Mm-hmm. And I contend that's exactly what it is. Now, young earth creationists argue this point. And they say, no, no, it's just a fir- it's just a phrase that means it didn't have any shape to it yet. Okay. But uh, there's too many passages of Scripture that we could go to, and we're not going to take the time to do it, to refute that argument. Okay. We're just going to look at the two other usages in the King James Bible of tohu vabahu. Okay. All right? It's only used three times in the Bible, here in Genesis 1-2, and the next one is in Isaiah 34. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 34. And, you know, when the Bible tells you to compare spiritual things with spiritual, uh, to learn things, to understand things, yeah. spiritual things are found in the Word of God. So I take it as comparing Scripture with Scripture. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Isaiah 34, verse 1, let's get some context here. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, Come near, ye nations, to hear. And hearken, ye people, let the earth hear, and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. Well, right off the bat, you can see this is God's wrath. Yeah. And it's probably a prophet, prophetic picture of the coming wrath. Okay. Okay. Verse 3, their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses. It's a, it's a graphic picture. Yeah. And the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Imagine so many dead that you, you ever seen like a, a um, what is it called when earth and water mix and they start a landslide. 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 Yeah. 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 Uh, imagine a landslide of blood and dirt. Pretty gory. Yeah. Pretty gory. Verse four. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved. Angels are involved now. Wow. Fallen angels. And the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, which, by the way, John refers to in the book of Revelation. So you know it's pointing to that. As the leaf falleth off from the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree, for my sword shall be bathed in heaven. That's an interesting thought. That's a picture of the Lord coming back to fight. Mm -hmm. You know, behold, it shall come upon, it shall come down upon Idumea. Now, I'm going to ask you to stop and make a mental note to remember Idumea. Okay. You don't know what that is, but we're going to come back to that. I mean, we don't know as we read this. We don't know what this is until we're going to dig into it a little bit deeper. It's part of the context, but I want to get past it because we're talking about without form and void. Okay. But we're going to come back and visit Idumea later. Okay. Okay. So my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Idumea and upon the people of my curse to judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with fatness and with the blood of lambs and goats and the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord hath a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Idumea. And Basra Hmm. is a city in Idumea. Just historically, that's where it is. Okay. So twice we've seen the region of Idumea mentioned here and, and once specifically with a city in it. Okay. Okay. Verse 7, and the unicorns shall come down with them, and the bullocks with the bulls, and their land shall be soaked with blood. And I think unicorns and bullocks may have something to do, bulls, with the rebellious angels. I had, I, that's the first time I've ever seen unicorns yeah. mentioned in Scripture. You think I, dragons are in the Bible? Unicorns yeah, are in the Bible? I've never seen that before. That's yeah. amazing. Okay. Yeah. 
verse 8, for it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. Of course, Zion is a name for Jerusalem. Yeah. Now, is there any question in your mind, John, that this is God's wrath? I think the picture's oh, yeah. been painted. Yeah. That he's angry with the nations and he's coming to destroy them for rejecting it's him. It's a massive slaughter. Yeah, it's a massive slaughter, right. Now, he mentioned Idumea. So verse 9 says, And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. And Idumea is an actual place. Uh, okay. it, it, historically, it has existed, and it's near Israel. Like I said, we're going to come back and talk about it in more detail. But I believe what's going to eventually happen is that region is going to be turned into the lake of fire, okay. which doesn't exist now, but it will in the future. Okay. Now, it could be that it's something else, but that's what I think for now. Hmm. All right. Now, verse 10, it shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever. That's why I think it's the lake of yeah. fire. From generation to generation, it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the cormorant and the bittern shall possess it. And those are birds. Yeah. The owl also and the raven shall dwell in it. Now watch this. Here's the, here's the focus. And he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. That phrase, the line of confusion, the stone of emptiness, is the exact same phrase as without form and void. Huh. Okay. It's the Hebrew tohu vabohu. The same term used here where God's wrath is clearly indicated is without form and void Yeah. in Genesis 1-2. Why would we separate God's wrath from Genesis 1 when we clearly see it advertised here in Isaiah 34? Wow, okay. And you could say, well, it's just that one time it's an exception. Well, let's see. Could it have been used another time? Go with me to Jeremiah 4. Jeremiah chapter 4. So we're looking for another usage of without form and void. Now, while the same Hebrew term was used in Isaiah 34, it was translated the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness, but it is clearly associated with the destruction of the planet and the destruction of Idumea. Okay. God's wrath, right? Now, Jeremiah 4, we come to verse 23, and we read, I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void. Now, that's the exact same translation yeah. as Genesis 1-2. But it is the exact same Hebrew, tohu vabohu. Okay. okay. So, I beheld the earth. And we don't know the context yet, but we just see the phrase. I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void, and the heavens, and they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled. And all the hills moved lightly, implying perhaps water. Yeah. Okay. I beheld, and lo, there was no man. And all the birds of the heaven were fled. And that could mean the men had been killed and destroyed, or it could be there was not yet a man, but there were birds. Okay. All right. Verse 6, I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. Wow. No question, God's wrath. Yeah. Verse 27, for thus saith the Lord, uh, thus hath the Lord said, verse 27, the whole land shall be desolate, yet will I not make a full end. Now, it's possible that Jeremiah is being given a glimpse back into the past of Genesis 1, just like Moses mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. he wrote Genesis. Uh, it could be he's referring to a future event as well because his wrath is coming. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't literally mention water here. It could be implied from verse 24, the mountains, they trembled and all the hills moved lightly. But it could be the desolation mm. of fire. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. But whatever it is, 
It's the same phrase without form and void. And so that's a second clear incident of that phrase occurring in connection to God's wrath. Why would Genesis 1 verse 2 be any different? Hmm. Why would he use the same phrase in two other places associated with his wrath to simply apply it to, I took a blob of clay and I started making stuff without form and void. So this is proving, your your point is this is proving that there was destruction that happened prior to the beginning or the formation of, reformation of the earth. Exactly. I believe it was restoration to Genesis 1-2. And while this is not meant to be an entirely dedicated episode to that, I've done that in the past, and we may do another one in the future. But this alone tells you that you can't just dismiss it. Yeah. You can't just to say, ah, Genesis 1 verse 2 is just taking the blob of clay. Hmm. You know, you can't do that. Not not without trying to uh, completely disregard Genesis okay. uh, or disconnect Genesis from Jeremiah and Isaiah. Okay. Okay. So now, why would God have had to have destroyed the earth if it is, in fact, the result of his wrath that it's without form and void? Yeah. Okay. And, and we see why in Jeremiah 4, and we see why... In Isaiah uh, 34, it's his wrath and uh, at his fierce anger. So something happened to cause him to punish or to destroy whatever was there. Well, we know from the book of Ezekiel something that happened that would have caused God's anger to fall and will again, ultimately, in Ezekiel 28. Now, we've discussed this in previous podcasts when we talked about the king of Tyrus. But we're going to read this passage again, starting in verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. And we're going to see in a moment this is not an earthly king. Okay. Uh, And say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious... Right away you're starting to think, Well, it can't be Adam. Yeah. And the only man that we know that's ever been in Eden was Adam and Eve. Yeah. Right? So thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the car- the emerald and the carbuncle, and gold. And take note that there's nine stones listed there. And okay. then gold is not a stone. It's yeah, a, it's a it's metal. metal. Uh, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. So this is a created being. Yeah. And then verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Hmm. So this is not a man. He's a king, and he's the king of Tyrus, but he's a cherub, hmm. which is a, an angelic type creature. Yeah. All right? Uh, and God says, I've set thee so. God made him. God created him. Made him beautiful. Made him wise. Uh, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, which I believe is Zion. Okay. Jerusalem. And so his domain was the earth, or at least he had access to it. Yeah. All right. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, that one's always thrown me. Hmm. What are the stones of fire? Hi. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider being a full-time subscriber. We are going to use these funds to expand the message and get the word out about what's in the Bible that the world doesn't want you to know about. That's right, John. We appreciate you listening, but we'd love it if you'd subscribe. That way we can reach more people with the time we have left. So enjoy the rest of the podcast, but think about subscribing if the Lord puts it on your heart. To subscribe, just go to biblemysteries.supercast.com. Thanks. 
I mean, the only thing I can think of there is that reminds me of like lava. Or yeah, something, right? I think of lava, and I think of uh, yeah. Was it just some sort of illumination of whatever you know, yeah. the glowing rocks that lit a pathway into a temple of some kind? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never been able to put my finger on that. The stones of fire, you know, hmm. uh, and then uh, and yet, if you back up to verse thirteen, he said every precious stone was like covering. Yeah, and there's nine stones mentioned. And then he says, you walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. So I started to wonder, could there be a connection there? Hmm. And actually, Tim Alberino has a a thought about this that I'm going to get into here in just a moment. Uh, Then verse 15, thou was perfect in thy ways uh, from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. So this king had iniquity in him. Verse 16, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they filled the midst of thee with violence and thou sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. And there they're mentioned again. Yeah. I'm going to destroy you from the midst of the stones of fire. So he has some connection to the stones of fire. Hmm. All right? And then thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquity, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all that behold thee. So whatever happened hmm. with this cherub, which I believe is Satan, yeah. the, the, the serpent, yeah. and, and for all we know, you know, the cherubs described in the Bible are described as having the face of an ox, yeah. A man, yeah. a lion, and an eagle. Okay. And is it possible? And there's there's four living creatures that it show up in the book of Revelation that match that description. Okay. And they're called cherubs. Uh, well, actually, John calls them living creatures, but we believe based on earlier chapters. They're of also Ezekiel. described in Daniel? Am I right? Uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel, mm-hmm. okay. So Ezekiel uh, describes them as cherubim. Okay. Okay. Uh, Tim contends that there could have been five originally, and Lucifer was one of them. Okay. It might have been the highest ranking of the of the other four. Hmm. You know, the anointed cherub. Yeah. And perhaps his original image was that of a serpent. You know, okay. He's called the serpent, the dragon. Yeah. yeah. So maybe in a beautiful way he was. Yeah. Uh, whatever. But whatever it was, he sinned. He committed iniquity. So nine stones originally covered the anointed cherub. And we read that list of those stones. Could these have been representative of the stones of fire? In other words, could it be that this anointed cherub had been given dominion over nine realms? Okay. And each realm, each stone represented one of those realms or worlds. When you think of the high priest of Israel, there were 12 tribes. Yeah. And he wore an ephod that had 12 stones set for each of the 12 tribes. Okay. So it wouldn't be unlike the character of God to establish upon the ornamentation of this cherub the nine stones over which he had oversight. Interesting. Yeah. So rather so than you're thinking those tried, are representing planets? Why couldn't they be the planets of our solar system? Wow. Could it be that those were the stones of fire? They glow. Yeah. You know, they have light. They emanate light, you know. And uh, is it possible that they existed in the universe? So at one time he was, sorry to interrupt you, but one time you're you're putting together the theory that at one time Satan was the king 
for lack of better terms, of our solar system and yeah. the nine planets. And maybe his particular realm where he's seated was on Earth close yeah. to God. Yeah. Because that's God's holy mountain mm-hmm. on Earth. It's That's why he's so interested in that bit of land there, yeah. you know, Jerusalem. And so he says, you have been in the mountain of God. So he had access to God. Maybe he had uh, the region of Tyrus close to Israel, Lebanon, mm-hmm. right? Maybe that was his uh, place where he was uh, serving God. And there were sanctuaries and temples all around that angels worshiped God. Mm-hmm. And he corrupted them. He polluted them, maybe with his own image. Wow. As he's going to do to the temple that's rebuilt. Yeah. You know? And perhaps these uh, other cherubs, possibly, there could have been, for all we know, uh, nine other princes. Yeah. Or eight other princes yeah. that had. Uh, their particular dominions, and he was over them all, and he oversaw like the earth so was the is, crown jewel. This is kind of bending my brain a little yeah. bit because I'm like, well, I'm sitting here thinking about all these other solar systems that are out there now, yeah. and I'm going, wait a second, does that mean that there's like a, <laughs> uh, a lack of better terms, an, another angelic being who is reigning over all these other solar systems out there? They, yeah. There's thousands of them. I don't know how many there are, right? And we don't know. Yeah. Uh, we don't know that. As far as we are concerned, we can only focus on what we have the ability to see. Exactly. You know, which yeah. would be yeah. our current solar system with telescopes and things like that. We know there's theoretically other planets outside of yeah. other galaxies or later in, in this galaxy. But uh, you could argue, if you're listening to this, you're thinking, but there's only eight planets, right? You know, if you list them, you know, the the eight planets are Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. Now, when I was a kid, Pluto was a planet. Yeah, that's where I grew up. I thought there was nine. (laughs) Now they're just saying ball of gas, Yeah, now even NASA calls (laughs) Pluto a dwarf planet. Okay. Isn't it interesting to note that all the planets except for Earth are named after gods? Yeah. They're they're named after the Roman versions of the Greek gods, Mercury's Hermes, Venus is Aphrodite, and I'll post that in the show notes. But only Earth is given doesn't have a name after a god, Hmm. you know. So it's just sort of interesting. But if we agree that Pluto has now been reduced to a dwarf planet, which I don't think is fair, but I guess that's what it is, then there would only be eight planets in the solar system. Okay. So if we have to if we have to exclude Pluto from being one of the planets then there's only eight planets. So that would throw off our our theory of the, of the nine, nine stones. stones right? yeah. Unless, what if there was a fifth planet from the sun that was destroyed? Okay. In the rebellion, in the insurrection, when God put it down, there was a planet between Mars and Jupiter, which incidentally, there's a huge gap between Mars and Jupiter. Okay. But you know what does exist between Mars and Jupiter? There's a huge asteroid belt, isn't there? Exactly. The asteroid belt, which scientists don't claim was the, the remnants of a destroyed planet, but I think it was. Huh. Okay. I, I think their theories about it are not correct. And so uh, back to the whole idea of, um, of these planets, um, was Genesis 1-2 the beginning of reconstruction after a ruin yeah. of a galactic battle that took place between the dragon and the third of the angels that joined him in rebellion, okay. and God and his angels with Michael as his yeah. general? And uh, if there had been a fifth planet from the sun between Mars and Jupiter that was destroyed, would it have left, it would have left devastation in its wake to all the other planets. That would explain why Mars is a, a wasteland. Yeah. It was like the first thing it would have hit 
if this planet was destroyed, there would be meteors and mm -hmm. comets from the water that could have existed. Yeah. Because a comet is ice. Okay. Dirty ice, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's it's got to come from water. And it, where would water come from but a habitable planet? Yeah. Or at least a planet that could support life. Yeah. So even Mars has some ice, hmm. you know, and some water, although it's very small. But um, so is it possible that all the planets or maybe once were inhabited? Yeah, we, we think about Earth being in the perfect location from the Earth and yeah. uh, from the sun, rather. Well, to and, sustain life for us. Yeah, exactly. Right. What, what they call the Goldilocks zone, you know, yeah. just right. But what if in the past, God's light and his presence provided all the light that was needed and every planet had a specific characteristic <laughs> that sustained life? Like maybe if you were too far from the sun, um, there was uh, uh, an atmosphere that blanketed it and kept heat in, yeah, and there yeah. was geothermal type thing. And maybe if you were closer to the sun, like Venus, the atmosphere reflected sunlight and kept it a, a reasonable temperature yeah. or something. We don't know. Well, we're speculating. What if, the, what if there were beings that didn't live in the didn't require the same kind of environment that we require? Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's. Is it possible that the planets were once inhabited, hmm. however they might have looked, yeah. but are now reeling in the wake of an interplanetary war that took place a long, long time wow. ago? And if that was the case, then maybe what we're seeing on the surface of Mars is the remnants of that civilization. Yeah. So we're speculating unless we can find something in the Bible. So we're talking about Ezekiel 28 and the nine stones and the stones of fire. And we're yeah. saying, what if, what if, yeah. but is there evidence in the scriptures of that? We have to look for something. Could, you know, would there ever have been a mention of a planet? You know, not all the planets are listed in the Bible. Okay. Yeah. You know, as we know them, you know, yeah. Mars is mentioned in the Bible. Really? Interestingly okay. enough. Yeah. yeah. Jupiter is mentioned. Mercury is mentioned. Well, I need to do some study. Yeah, I don't the, know any of this. Yeah, all in the New Testament. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, it, not in the context of trying to prove anything like we're talking about. But um, I, we had mentioned in our study about ultraterrestrials from the paper that Dr. Putoff wrote that yeah. he cites in his uh, article that he wrote in the Journal of Cosmology, a book from Nick Redfern. Okay. Okay. And that book, I don't know the title of it. Oh, no, I do know the title of it. It's called The NASA Conspiracies. But he asserts this. Uh, his interview of an ex-NASA Gemini contractor. Gemini okay. was one of the early projects before Apollo. Okay. Okay. And uh, he says his interview of an ex-NASA Gemini contractor led to the claim that there was evidence of a small band of individuals who were not aliens from some distant star system at all, but supposedly represented the last vestiges of a very ancient terrestrial race of beings that thousands of years ago had an advanced and isolated civilization that was responsible for the legends of Atlantis and similar stories, but who were forced by circumstances to retreat into remote, sequestered locales for survival, like in the mountains or in a seabed or in the yeah. Arctic or whatever. Huh. You know. And that's just an interesting thought that goes back to this uh, hypothesis of the stranded or colonizing ETs or gods that yeah. Putoff puts forth as an ultra-terrestrial model. Now, I didn't read that book, but it made me think about, well, that almost sounds like this ancient civilization of angels that would have had advanced technology yeah, yeah. that existed on this planet at least, if not others. And if, if, if they did exist on this planet, why not others? You know, what yeah, would have absolutely. limited their scope? Yeah, yeah. You know, whatever God allowed. And um, 
Then we run across this talking about Bible evidence. Go to Psalm 87. Now, this is uh, something that Timothy Alberino suggests. And so, as I told uh, folks a couple of episodes ago, I'm reaching out to him to have him back on because I'd like him to elucidate us on some of this um, or elucidate this issue. But back in uh, Psalm 87, starting in verse 4, we read, I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre, with Ethiopia, this man was born there. Now, what I'm interested in is the hmm. list of, of names here. Yeah. Okay. Um, Tyre is Tyrus. Okay. Which we read about Ezekiel 28, the king of Tyrus. Yeah. So it's the same city, the same region. Philistia, we're familiar with the Philistines, right? Yep. Uh, Babylon, we know about that. And incidentally, all of these names that are mentioned here either have been destroyed or punished by God or will be in the future. Okay. You know, like the destruction of Babylon, Mystery Babylon, you know, that's, yeah, that's another yeah. to- topic. But all these, but Rahab, have you ever heard the term Rahab before? No. Okay. Most people know the name Rahab as a woman who lived in Jericho when Joshua and the children of Israel took the walls down. Okay. And you know, God gave them defeat over the Jericho. Yeah. And Rahab was a harlot. Yeah. And she lived there, and she believed in God. So she said, hey, I'll, she hid the two spies, Joshua and Caleb. I remember that, yeah. yeah. And she says, remember me when you take over, uh, that we did you a good turn. Yeah. You know? And so God blessed her and didn't destroy her. But this word, Rahab, is not the exact same. It's in Hebrew, it would be Rahab, and it's slightly different spelling. Okay. And it literally means proud and boastful. You know, okay. like an arrogance is associated yeah. with it, which didn't have anything to do with Rahab the harlot. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's the same English spelling, but it's a different uh, Hebrew word, and it's interestingly enough used again in chapter eighty nine or the eighty ninth Psalm. Look in verse five. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? And I think he's talking about angels. Yeah. Yeah. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him, including the cherubs. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee or to thy faithfulness round about thee? Thou rulest the raging of the sea. Now, surely you get an image of Christ rebuking the waves of the yeah. Sea of Galilee. But, you know, the sea is used uh, as a picture or type of other things than just water. Okay. It's used as a type of sea of humanity. So all the people on the earth, you know, the, yeah. the beast comes out of the sea, rises up out of the sea, out of humanity. Okay. It's also used to portray, in Hebrew cosmology, the outer space was looked at as like an ocean. Wow, okay. As the sea, you know. And so he said... Um, Thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces. As one that is slain, thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. The heavens are thine. The earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north and the south, thou hast created them. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in thy name. Thou hast a mighty arm, strong as thy hand, and high as thy right hand. And over and over in the scripture, the right arm, the right hand of God yeah. is a reference to Jesus Christ. Yeah. So you begin to get a picture in here of God being mighty in battle, verse 8, Lord of hosts, Lord of armies. Yeah. Right? 
uh, ruling over the occupants of the heavens. Mm-hmm. Who can be compared unto him? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord, right? He rules the raging of the sea as in an insurrection yeah. among the planets wow. okay. and the stars. And uh, thou hast broken Rahab in pieces. Hmm. Well, there's Rahab again. Yeah. And who is she? It, it he. Where, where did it come yeah. from? What is this thing? This, there's no city. There's no country. There's no reference to Rahab in, in, in the Bible from a geographic standpoint of view. Hmm. But it's mentioned several times. So the first time we see it mentioned in verse 80, uh, in, in a rather uh, Psalm 87, as being in a list of cities that are going to be punished yeah. or have been. Yeah. Here we clearly see it was punished and broken to pieces. So that starts to imagine the asteroid belt, a planet destroyed in pieces, yeah. right? And then if we look up the word, like I said, Hebrew, Rahab means breadth, storm, or arrogance. Okay. And it's also translated as proud in Job 26, which we're going to read in a moment. So you're starting to see a connection to the king of Tyrus. Yeah. The dragon. Yeah. Right? The serpent. So what what connection did Rahab have to Satan? Well, first look in Job 26. Job is right before Psalm, for those of you that are watching at home, listening. And we'll start reading in verse 11. Job is speaking out of his misery here. And he, and he Job talks a lot about creation and science really? from okay. a Bible perspective. And in verse 11, the pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. Another indication of God's power among the stars. Yeah. He divideth the sea with his power. Now you could say, oh, you were talking about the Red Sea, but could there have been a dividing of the sea in the past? Hmm. Well, in Genesis 1. He separated the waters above from the waters below. Yeah. And I, I mean, there, that's a lot more water than just the Red Sea, you know, which is mm-hmm. a, a lake compared to yeah. the, the oceans of the heavens, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and by his understanding, he smiteth through the proud. And that word proud there is Rahab. Huh. Okay. So it, it, why is it translated as a, pro, as a proper noun, Rahab, yeah. in the Bible in some places and proud here? It's because God's trying to show us something. Verse 13, by his spirit he hath garnished the heavens. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. Hmm. So in connection to proud, which is Rahab, we've got the crooked serpent being formed. So is there a connection between Satan and Rahab? Well, certainly in the the characteristics, proud, arrogant. Yeah, yeah. uh, What was it, broad? Was that the other term? I forgot. Yeah, breadth. Right. You know, spread yeah. out like he tried to expand his empire. Yeah. He wanted more than to be the anointed cherub. He wanted to be God. Yeah. Right? So another usage of Rahab is in Isaiah 51. And we're going to try to put this together. And as I stated uh, when we started here, we're probably going to na- need to make a part two out of this because we got a lot to cover here. We haven't even huh. really gotten to Mars yet other than to talk <laughs> about it incidentally. <laughs> but Mars in the Bible we haven't gotten to yet. So Isaiah chapter 51, we'll start reading in verse 9, and we read, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord, a reference to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Awake as in the ancient days in the generations of old, art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Hmm. So that clearly there's something going on here. Yeah. You know? And as Timothy Alberino points out, that prophecy is intended to be um, esoteric. Okay. That's his term. I would say cryptic. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, In other words, it's meant to have more than one application. Okay. It could have a historical application, uh, a dispensational application, a spiritual application. And obviously God is hiding truth from the rebellious angels, but it reveals the secret things to his saints. Hmm. Right? Uh, Verse 11, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. Oh, I, I skipped verse 10, excuse me. Art thou not it which hath dried the sea? And we read a reference to the parting of the sea. Yeah. Uh, that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over. And clearly you could see that as the, the exodus of okay. Israel yeah. out of Egypt. But what if there's also a path that needs to be made through heaven for the saints to come up to heaven, as in the rapture? Okay. You know? Yeah. Uh, penetrating enemy lines so that we can go up. Wow. Right? Uh, verse um, 11, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. And we know that's hmm. a promise when he makes a new heaven and a new earth. Yeah. You know, no more tears. Now, back to the verse that says in verse 9, Art thou not it that hath cut Rehob and wounded the dragon? Is it possible? That Rahab was a destroyed planet, perhaps yeah. that existed between Mars and Jupiter, which the remains of are the asteroid belt. Wow. And that one, uh, it was one of the nine stones of fire. Hmm. Maybe it was the planets, and that's why there's only eight, because we can't count Pluto anymore. Because yeah. NASA says it's a dwarf planet, uh-huh. right? I always thought it was a little dog, you know, Disney, Pluto, <laughs> right? But what if it was one of the nine stones of fire or realms over which the dragon and his princes once had dominion, Hmm. and they combined in a galactic army to to fight against the Lord? (laughs) We can't know much, uh, like I said, about the surface of some of the planets, um, like the gas giants and Venus. Uh, But Mars and the moon clearly show evidence of cataclysmic destruction, especially the far side of the moon. It's interesting, our moon faces... Same side faces the Earth all the time. The moon really? doesn't okay. rotate for us, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it faces the same time, and it's responsible for the time. I never thought about that. Yeah. All right. And that's another reason why I can't go with the flat Earth theory, you know. Right. But uh, they they both clearly show, and and Mars as well, and its two little moons, Phobos and Deimos, um, cataclysm, destruction on the surface, especially the sides that face away from the Earth. So the the face of the moon that's away from Earth is more pocked. And devastated than the side that you yeah. see, you know, and which would make sense if if a hurling, exploding planet and debris went flying towards the sun, because yeah. the gravitational pull yeah. of the sun would have been the strongest pull, a force mm. of energy that would have drawn it towards it, and as it was bombarding everything in its path, yeah, outer side of the moon, the outer side of Mars's moons, um, hmm. and and Mars itself. So um, it's just something to think about. And like I said, Mars is not mentioned but uh, one time in the Bible. And I'm going to close with this thought just to kind of whet our listeners' appetites to come back (laughs) for part two. But go to Acts chapter 17. Okay. Uh, Because this is Paul, the apostle, who is preaching in Athens. So remember I mentioned to you that all the planets are named after gods, right? Well, Mercury, Venus, uh, Mars, all the planets but Earth. And uh, those Roman names, Latin, I should say, like Jupiter, yeah. uh, are derived from the Greek names like Zeus. Okay. So originally the planets were understood from antiquity as being gods. 
you know, the Egyptians would have called him something else. But yeah, yeah. and and of course, um, I don't think that um, the ancients would have known about Uranus, Neptune, uh, given their distance. You know, you can't yeah. see them without a telescope. However, uh, maybe they did. You know, because the Bible in the Book of Job mentions the Pleiades and Orion, mm -hmm. which would have been hard to understand anything about that without yeah. a telescope, you know. So uh, perhaps, you know, they saw things. But anyway, the only mention of Mars by name is when Paul gave this message in Athens in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, where we read, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, okay, a hill dedicated to the god Ares, yeah. Mars, the god of what? War. Wow, okay. Mars is the god of war. To the Romans and to the Greeks. Okay. So we think about battle. We think of, and yeah. it's also called something else. It has a nickname. It's called the Red Planet. Yeah. And it does look red. Yeah. Right. Uh, but red is associated with something else. The dragon. Okay. He's a red dragon. Hmm. Right. And uh, and so is it possible that maybe that was his base of uh, of attack against uh, God or whatever? Yeah. You know, who knows. But he says, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. So Paul is preaching to a bunch of idol-worshiping heathens here. Yeah. Uh, they may have been educated, but they were Greeks that worshiped the gods. Okay. And incidentally, if you back up to verse 19, it says, they took and brought him unto Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. And Areopagus is literally Mars Hill. Mars oh, okay. Hill is, if you look it up in the concordance, it's Arios and Pegos. Okay. Ares, the god, Mars, and Pegos Hill. So Mars Hill. So it's the only mention, but it is mentioned in the Bible. That's interesting. And it's associated as a god. It's identified with idolatry and superstition, Yeah. right? And Lord willing, next week, we're going to pick up here and dive deeper into this and see if we can connect Mars to Idumea. Remember I said put yeah, that in the back yeah. of your mind, you Idumea, because interestingly enough, we're going to find out Idumea is another term for Edom. Oh, okay. And Edom is Esau. Yeah. And Edom literally means red. Hmm. Could it be that just as Rahab was maybe a planet, there was also an Edom that was Mars, but there's an Edom country and person in the Bible, and they're yeah. types of the planets. Interesting. Yeah, it gets it's deep, doesn't it? <laughs> so yeah, so join us, folks, next week. We hope that something we've said here will kind of whet your appetite to dig into this. And, and you know, it's kind of interesting because we sort of have a fascination with Mars, you know. Yeah. So a lot of talk of NASA going to Mars. There, some of the all the sci-fi movies are yeah. always Mars. Oligarchs want to fund yeah. it and go there. I think yeah. even Elon Musk and his spacecrafts are. Oh, they're going. Uh, yeah, they're planning, right? <laughs> they're planning to go to Mars. I mean, maybe there's something there that they yeah. know about. You know. Hmm. We'll find out. Yeah. Well, tune in next time, folks, to get the sequel of The Mystery of Mars. I like it. Can't wait. Thank you, John. <laughs> you got it. And thank you for listening today. Take care of yourself. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to our premium ad-free content at BibleMysteriesPodcast.com.
Hey, thanks again for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode and we so much appreciate you sharing with others and your friends and tell them about the show. We'd also love it if you'd one more time consider joining Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast as a subscriber. Absolutely. And keep in mind that your subscription helps us get the word out to as many people as we can possibly reach. So we appreciate you partnering with us. Don't forget, it's BibleMysteries.Supercast.com. And thanks again for joining us today.